In Mary Poppins, Jane and Michael are faced with a dilemma. What's the wise thing to do with the tuppence? Uh, Should they deposit in the bank and experience the reward and the excitement of compounding interest? Or should they feed the birds? Uh, We're finishing our series in Proverbs today. And we're going to be listening to what what the voice of wisdom says about wealth. We started the topical part of our series, if you can remember, we actually spent two weeks in Proverbs thinking more broadly about wisdom and then we got into the topical part. Our first topical uh, talk was about work. We're finishing our time in Proverbs thinking about one of the outputs of work, which is wealth. Now, Proverbs may not address all of your money questions. Uh, The Bible doesn't give advice on how to fill out your tax return. It doesn't give advice on whether it's better to buy or to rent, what stocks you should buy or whether cryptocurrencies are the gold standard for the future or whether they're a giant Ponzi scheme. It doesn't say whether saving money in the bank or feeding in the birds is the right decision for you to make with your money. Instead, God's wisdom reshapes our whole approach to money and wealth. And it's this new way of thinking about money, thinking about it in the context of fearing the Lord, that's going to radically shape the financial decisions we need to make to stand out as followers of Jesus in a world that is obsessed by wealth. We're going to consider uh, three big things, three big ideas about wealth from Proverbs. Uh, The first is the blessing of wealth. Now, the second is a note of caution when it comes to financial matters. And finally, the wisdom of generosity. So first up, the blessing of wealth. Uh, the Proverbs are clear. Wealth is better than poverty. In fact, wealth is described as a gift from God. So, as I said, uh, Proverbs 3 is actually where we're going to start. We will come back to Proverbs 22. Uh, please turn in your Bible to Proverbs 3 because we're going to be here for a couple of minutes. So find Proverbs 3, and we're going to be looking at verse 9. Proverbs 3, 9. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Honouring God with wealth and first fruits is alluding to tithes and offerings required under the law of Moses. And the, the equation is straightforward. Obey God. And you're going to be wealthy beyond measure. And this sounds really good, doesn't it? But it raises some questions. These verses sound like you've just tuned in to one of the early morning TV preachers, the ones with shiny suits and plastic hair, those ones preaching a lie. It's called a prosperity gospel. But hang on, Proverbs seems to be saying something similar to what you might hear on the early morning on your TV or on some of the things that get played on Christian radio. What's going on? Is this a system you can game? Could you trick God into making you unimaginably rich to have every your bank accounts full to overflowing? If Is God a faulty poker machine in the sky that if you feed him a certain amount of money... 
a tithe, which, well, it starts off being 10%, but if you read Leviticus, it's more like 23%. But anyway, give him your tithe and then a bit of an offering on top, and then all of a sudden you get the jackpot. Can you game Proverbs 3.9? Also, you hear Proverbs 3 and you wonder, is this always true? Is this a promise? Does this mean all people who are wealthy, it's because they have honoured God? Is the opposite also true? Does this mean poor people are poor because they haven't honoured God with their wealth? This proverb is in line with many other places in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 28, there's a list of blessings that come from obeying God and curses that come from disobedience. That's Deuteronomy 28. And this fits with where Deuteronomy and Proverbs fits in God's story. Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Old Testament, is looking forward to life in the promised land. Proverbs is set in the promised land during the time of Solomon, the time when you would have been forgiven for thinking that everything God has promised has been fulfilled. You might have thought Solomon was the promised Messiah, except he failed. And at this time, when God's people are the descendants of Abraham and God's place is the physical land of Canaan and God's king is Solomon ruling from Jerusalem, it fits that in this point of God's story for God's blessing to have a material expression. Because life in this promised land under the king, the promised king Solomon, points back to life in the Garden of Eden. In many ways, Proverbs is saying, we're living in heaven. But they weren't there yet. And so at this point of God's story, Proverbs 3, 9 makes sense. Though does this mean... As the title of the former Hillsong pastor, his book said, you need more money, God's amazing financial plan for your life. Is that what Proverbs 3.9 means? If you want to get rich, start honouring God. Well, it's what it says, isn't it? And so that might work as you read Proverbs 3.9 and then you start reading the rest of Proverbs and realise that's not the whole story. Because whilst Proverbs reflects the Deuteronomy 28 picture of the blessed life in the land of Canaan, Proverbs also says wealth is temporary. So don't focus on it. You don't need more money, in fact. Proverbs 23, 4 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glances at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Wealth is only temporary. Don't waste your life getting it. It's a waste of time. But even if you manage to be wealthy all of your life, it does you no good for eternity. Proverbs 11.4 says, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So even within the book of Proverbs, we're warned about putting our hope and trust in wealth. It will not last. 
The only thing that lasts is righteousness, a right relationship with God, which ultimately can only come through faith in Christ. So in the the wider context of Proverbs, yes, there's this general rule of thumb, especially when you're living in God's promised land under God's King Solomon, There's a rule of thumb that honouring God with your money, bringing the tithes and offerings that the law of Moses commanded, there's a general expectation of God's reward even in this life. However, even in Proverbs chapter 3, there's a counterpoint. There's a counterpoint that goes against everything the false prosperity teachers would say. Brian Houston might say, you need more money. But the proverb says, the Bible says, you need more wisdom. Have a look at Proverbs 3.13. So this is just a couple of sentences after. Then your barns are going to be filled to overflowing. Proverbs 3.13 says, blessed are those who find wisdom. For they, for those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honour. Her ways are pleasant and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be good. Sorry, will be blessed. You think a barn full of grain will be good? Well, verse 15 says, wisdom is better than a treasury full of rubies. Uh, You think a, a share portfolio that pays big dividends is good? Wisdom gives even better returns. The game show might ask, who wants to be a millionaire? The proverb says, that'd be nice, but wisdom would be better. The ad for Lotto destroys that great song by the Beach Boys and the ad asks, wouldn't it be nice to win a million? The proverb says, well, maybe, but wisdom would be better. Wisdom would be better. Jesus told a story about a bloke who'd made it. He had more wealth than he knew what to do with. And for those of us who know Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, for the the people listening to Jesus who knew Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, they would have thought, this guy's made it. This guy must be wise and blessed by God. We should be more like this man in the story. But have a listen to what Jesus says. We'll put it up on the screen. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. And for the kids who've grabbed the activity pack, that's the story that you've got a little illustration there that you can colour in. This story, Jesus says, 
You're not wise when you're rich unless you're rich before God. And Jesus, though, does promise a blessing, doesn't he? He says there is a blessing for those who are rich toward God, who honour God with their wealth and with their lives. But the blessing is treasure in heaven, eternal treasure. That's the wisest wealth to store. But let's come back to the here and now. Because there are some Proverbs that speak practically about how to use money, how to be prudent or cautious with wealth. Interestingly, there's nothing in the Proverbs about budgeting, nothing about putting aside some money for a rainy day. Many would assume that's a cautious and prudent way to approach money, but there's, that's nothing that the, the Proverbs mention. However... There are proverbs that warn about getting into debt. So this is back, we're now going to be in Proverbs 22 for the rest of our time together. Uh, We will be other some proverbs, but I'll put them up on the screen. Proverbs 22, so find Proverbs 22 again. Number 7, Proverbs 22, 7 warns about getting into debt. It says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. People talk about working for the bank. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. And with rising interest rates, that becomes more and more true. Not only mortgages, there are plenty of people getting caught out by the buy now, pay later services. They sound too good to be true. No interest. Plenty of charges, but no interest. They sound too good to true, and that's because they are. Not only do the Proverbs warn about getting into debt, they warn against being the guarantor for someone else. Proverbs 22.26 says, 22.26, Do not be the one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. And this is something our denomination is learning. If you pledge security for someone else's debt, if they can't pay, then who will? It'll be you. And even your own bed, your own home might be taken out from you to repay their loan. Now, the Proverbs are not saying that you can never take out a loan. That's because the Proverbs are not laws, are they? They're not rules. They're rules of thumbs. They're not saying you can never uh, go into debt. For Israelites, the law of Moses described making loans and the Proverbs were written for Israel, weren't they? So the law of Moses made it very clear. You can take loans, you can make loans, but Israelites, the law was very clear, Israelites were not to charge interest on loans to fellow Jews. Not half a percent. Not 1.3, no, 0% interest. They were only to give no interest loans. And what's more, if the loan was linked to property or land, then every seven years the land went back to the original custodians. The law of Moses allowed for loans to be made under very strict conditions. So the Proverbs aren't saying that you can never borrow The Proverbs don't say you can never lend, but they are saying, be cautious. Be aware that money you lend, you may never see again. 
And when you take out a loan, it may cost you more than you bargained. That's the warning. Instead, the Proverbs commend contentment. Uh, Proverbs 37 says, uh, Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but only, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. It's a great prayer, isn't it? I think we can resonate with the two extremes. For many of us, we run the risk of having too much. We are too wealthy. We run the risk of relying on wealth and our own ability to provide for all of our needs. If we are hungry, we can buy the kind of food Solomon would only have ever dreamed of. Uh, One of the things about the the produce shortage, the, the lettuce shortage at the moment, it's brought to light the amazing world we live in. We expect supermarkets and greengrocers to have every kind of produce on the shelf, fresh, ready for us year round. I don't even know anymore when tomato season or banana season is. It's every season, isn't it? There are always fresh fruit and veggies on the shelf. We expect lettuce to be there all year round without exception. And we should be thankful for this, shouldn't we? It's an outworking of wisdom, the wisdom God has given humanity, that we have skills to create the technology that allows this to happen. We should be so thankful for the amazing things that technology provides because it's a gift of God through the wisdom he has given people. But then we take it for granted. We should be astounded that in normal situations, that we think it is normal for lettuce to be available year round. Not grumble when we have this minor inconvenience that we don't have something crisp and crunchy to go on our sandwiches. We are, in Australia, overall, so crazily rich. We forget that everything we have comes from God. We are so affluent, we forget to thank God. And instead, we become experts at grumbling when things don't go our way. Of course, some of us are at the other extreme. We live in poverty, and it feels like stealing is the only answer. Whether that's taking something from the shop or fudging numbers with the tax office, we feel like stealing is the only answer. Like Agur, who wrote this proverb, we should ask for neither extreme, neither poverty nor riches. So we should be learning to be content with what we've had, what we've got, neither property nor riches. Though Jesus once again takes this one step further. Where the Proverbs warn us about the risk of giving loans and encourage contentment, Jesus commands his disciples to give and give and lend to anyone who asks. Matthew 5.42, Jesus says, Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus is well aware of the Proverbs. He knows the risk of giving to anyone who asks. 
Jesus calls us to value him and the kingdom of God to invest so much in eternal treasures that we're willing to lose everything we have to, to give to even bad creditors for the sake of Christ. And Jesus doesn't just say this. He doesn't just give us a command, give to anyone who asks, but doesn't do it himself. He does this. His whole life, his life, death, resurrection is radical generosity. Jesus gives not just money, but his whole self for his people. Jesus calls us not to be merely content or cautious. He calls us to radical generosity. Which gets us to our third point. So we've heard how wealth can be a blessing, though wisdom and righteousness is far better. We've heard the warning to be cautious with with wealth, though once again Jesus teaches eternal treasure is better. Uh, The third thing the voice of wisdom commends is generosity. So we're going to hear this again in Proverbs 22. Uh, Proverbs 22.9 says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Uh, This blessing might go back to what we heard from chapter 3. Sharing food with the poor is a way to honour God with your wealth. And so there's an expectation of blessing. Proverbs 11 paints a picture of generosity that I think really brings this home. Uh, Proverbs 11.24 says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain. But they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. One of the ironies of our society, we've never been so rich. We've never had so much stuff, yet we've, we've got this scarcity mindset. We feel poor. We, we hoard. How often do you go to the shops and you buy a packet or a tin of something only to get home and you've already got 10 of them in your pantry? How many of us have got more screens, TVs, computers, phones? We've got more screens than we've got eyeballs in our houses. How many of us have more tools than we know what to do with? For some crazy reason, if there's a tool you need for a little job, instead of borrowing it from a neighbour or from someone at church, our our neighbour in the faith, we go and buy one for ourselves. It's hoarding. Why do we do it? Because we want to be independent. We don't want to depend on anyone, especially not God. We feel safe and secure with a pantry full of food. We don't need to pray because we've got everything we need already, even though half of it goes to waste. Much wiser, the Proverbs say, to be generous, to share what we have. Not only because then we'll get in return in this life, but as Jesus says, that will store up treasure in heaven. The Proverbs also commend a lesser kind of generosity. There's direct generosity, giving things to those who are in need, 
The lesser kind of generosity is not oppressing, not taking advantage of poor and vulnerable people. So have a look down to Proverbs 22.16. 22.16, the one who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and the one who gives gifts to the rich, both come to poverty. Uh, the reference to giving gifts in that proverb, it's talking about bribes. What's the outcome of bribes and oppression? Poverty. Another proverb that makes the same point, though it's often misunderstood, is Proverbs 22.28. So 22.28, do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. Now, this one's often misunderstood, misquoted. This proverb is not a warning against change. I heard this proverb quoted recently by someone who was anxious about some change. They said, let's not change. We shouldn't move an ancient boundary stone. This proverb is not about that. It's not saying, it's not saying it's good to not change. It's not extolling the virtues of conservatism. The picture of this proverb is of someone who redraws a boundary line between their property and their neighbours and they do it in a sneaky way to steal land from their neighbour. This proverb is repeated and extended upon in chapter 23. So have a listen. Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encrouch on the fields of the fatherless for their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. What's the warning? Why should we not move ancient boundary stones? The warning is don't get rich from ripping off the poor. God sees you are not going to get away with it. We heard the same thing in our New Testament reading in James. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the days of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. A warning to those who are rich and who get rich by stealing the wages for those, from those who are working for them. James, God through James, gives serious words. You have fattened yourselves. Yes, you've got rich yourselves. What for? You're like the fattened calf for the day of slaughter. That's the negative spin on generosity. Don't oppress, don't steal. But positively, be generous. Be generous because God is a generous God. He's generous in creation and providence. Everything we have, everything you have, everything we have comes from him. It's not ours. It belongs to him. So share because that is what God would have you do with it. But even more than this, where to be generous, where to be generous even when it hurts, as Jesus commands, give to whoever asks. We can do this because Jesus has done this for us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is commending generosity to the church in Corinth. And Paul gives Jesus as the example. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus became poor. He came down. The eternal son took on our humanity and he took on not the humanity of a king or a CEO. He was born into a poor family. And he continued emptying himself to death on a shameful cross. He took our humanity to the grave. 
And he did this so you and I might become rich. Not rich so we can have a big house. Not rich so we can buy expensive clothes, but rich by being clothed in his righteousness that we might live with him in his father's house, the new heavens and the new earth. Yes, it's wise to be generous. Yes, it's wise to be careful with money. Yes, wealth can be a blessing from God, but the deepest riches we can have come from knowing Jesus and sharing in his spiritual and eternal wealth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus, that although he was rich, he became, for, he became poor for us and our salvation. Help us know the great riches we have in Christ. And out of this, help us to learn to be generous, to be content, to be thankful. Help us stand out in our society that is so obsessed with money and wealth that we might live differently because of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.